As um as Dan said, I'm um I'm Nell, um old friend of of Dan's. Um, I actually um I'm just gonna just gonna lead with this because it makes me feel a little bit normal today. I am um, hit a pheasant on the way in to Milton Keynes. Hit a pheasant and. Um, <laughs> in my car going 60 miles per hour and not only did I hit the pheasant but the pheasant got into my car <laughs> so I texted Dan and was like, I'm having a bit of car trouble you're gonna need to sort out and he was like weird okay arrived I was like Dan got an issue like the grill at the front of my car like behind it is this pheasant like this and so dad bless him puts on like and I, my, my, I rang my parents because that's what you do when you have car trouble and you're 24 and you panic and you're side you're in the hard shoulder on a Milton Keynes somewhere rang it and my mum was like you need to get out of the car now because I might start cooking <laughs> <laughs> I was like mum like I don't have an outfit change I draw the line it's showing up to preach covered in dead bird I'm sorry like that's just that's my line and <clears throat> Anyway, arrived and um, Dan put on some gloves and, and an overall and we hoiked out the birds. Um, he, he was dead, but he was intact, so it could have been a lot messier. Anyway, that has barely any relevance to God's plan for you, but thought I'd lead with that because here we are. It's just been one of those days. You know when you have a day and you're like, how is this a thing? <laughs> what? Yeah, if you want if you want to see some photos, it's um actually, yeah, like remarkably intact pheasant considering what it literally went through. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so as aforementioned, I don't actually <clears throat> have uh, God's plan for you written down. Um, and if if you want to leave now, I'll understand, particularly after the first story. I'm really sorry, guys. Um, but what I do have is an encouragement. And um, we're going to start with the Bible. We're going to start with Jeremiah 29. Um, so if you have a Bible, flick to Jeremiah 29. Don't know what page it's on. I've got it written down here, I'm afraid. We're um, reading verses 4 to 14. Jeremiah 20, 29, verses 4 to 14. Does, are, we, like, are we a group where people could just read it aloud themselves? Like, does someone want to like volunteer to read it aloud? Then it's not just my voice the entire time? Is that a thing that we do? Yay? No? Yay? Great. Anyone? Anyone want to volunteer to read? Verses 4 to 14. Oh, oh. 4 to 14. Jeremiah 29, 4 to 14. Disclaimer. Curveball. So this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what is good. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and your daughters they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets
Thank you very much. Um, so as Dan said, I work at the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, that's LICC, or Lick to its friends, which I'm not a fan of, if I'm honest, but there we are. Um, <coughs> we spend our time helping people work out what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ in their everyday ordinary lives. So not just in church services and prayer meetings, but in the office and down the gym and at home and at the school gate and playing football and going out, out. <laughs> that's the thing you say, right? Going out, out. No? Yeah, okay, good for you. <laughs> Moment there. <laughs> Didn't know it was a student thing. <laughs> um, and so actually, believe it or not, Jeremiah 29 is one of our favourite passages for this. And maybe, perhaps not for the reason you might think. So when you say Jeremiah 29, your brain almost automatically fills in 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. Because it's, it's oft quoted, right? It's used in prayers, it's used in encouragements, it's put on beautiful backgrounds and posted on Pinterest. Hands up, I have... Uh, Jeremiah 2011 on a Pinterest board. Guilty as charged. Anyone else? Yep. Great. I actually had a phone background once. Um, but it's also often taken massively out of context, which is why we read 4 to 14 rather than just 11 there. And so it's so important to read texts like this within their context, because this isn't a letter to people who were where they wanted to be and who just needed a bit of an encouragement. This is a letter to people who have been captured by their enemies and carted off to a place they really, really, really don't want to be. Because actually this is a letter to the exiles. So this is kind of 605 BC, when Jerusalem, it fell to Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the kingdom's military, the political and the religious elite were forcibly marched 700 miles to Babylon. When Judah rebels again, more follow. They're exiled. This is where this letter is sent. This is the context into which God is speaking through Jeremiah to Babylon, to prisoners, to exiles, to people who didn't want to be where they were. And interestingly, this passage was probably not what they would have wanted to hear. They want to hear what the prophets and diviners from verse 8 are saying, that they'll be headed home soon, that God will rescue them imminently and lead them in a triumphant return to the land. But they don't want to hear what God actually says, for them, this wasn't the 605 BC equivalent of a phone background or an Instagram post. Query what that actually was. Discuss later. Um, this, this wasn't that. This was a kick in the teeth. Build houses and settle down. Have a family. Set up camp. Invest. Pray. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which you don't want to be in, which you've got captured and taken to against your will. What? <laughs> like, this is enemy territory, but God wants them to set up camp there. This, like, this makes no sense. One of those moments where you're like, God, sorry, you clearly are not grasping the context of the situation. What are you talking about? Does he have any idea what he's asking them to do? I'm going to leave that question just, just there for a minute. And we're going to take a short detour and talk about calling. So bear with me. It will make sense in a minute, I promise. So turn to the people around you, twos and threes, and answer this question. What comes to mind when you think of the word calling? 
And have you ever felt called to something in particular? What comes to mind when you think of the word calling? And have you ever felt called to something in particular? I will be asking for feedback, so prepare to give your answers. Go. Thirty seconds. Okay, talk to me. Hello, be my friend. What comes to mind when you think of the word calling and have you ever felt called to something in particular? Hit me. No biggie. <laughs> Anyone? Great. Great. Have you ever felt called to something in particular? Great. Anyone else? Hello. Okay, so as you kind of gave answer, I um, noticed that a lot of you were talking about being called to something. 
awkward. Actually, really not awkward because that means I can make my point. Um, <laughs> I want to begin with a potentially controversial statement. Um, sorry, as a millennial. Sorry, millennials. Myself included. Pr primarily, calling isn't about us. It isn't about you. I want to suggest to you this evening that calling is less about you and more about the one who calls you. The very nature of the word calling, after all, suggests that there's someone doing the calling, right? You can't get called by no one. It's just not a phone call, right? If no one is calling, we haven't been called. If I'm, if I'm being called, the question is, who is calling me? Our caller is the creator of the universe, the one who flung stars into space, the one who came to Earth as one of us to draw us back to him, despite the utter mess we'd made of the world he had created. Our caller is God. But to what does he call us? Primarily, before anything else, God calls us not to something, but to someone, himself. Throughout the Bible, the word call is used most often to refer to God's initiative to bring people to Christ and to participate in his redemptive work in the world. So in Matthew 4, Jesus calls Simon, Peter and Andrew, come, follow me. Paul writes in Romans 1 about how we are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Again in Romans, this time in chapter 8, Paul writes that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And in 1 Corinthians it says, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First and foremost then, we are called by someone to someone. We are called by God to God himself. This, that is our primary calling. And this primary calling works itself out in some specific ways. Stewarding his creation, being his disciple and belonging to his church. As those who are called by God to God, we are made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 27 then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We are image bearers of God. That is the identity that we share with the rest of humanity. And flowing out of that identity is the call to steward God's creation. So to steward is to take responsibility for someone or something. Stewarding our creation is part of our primary calling and it works itself out in our daily lives. Building family, growing crops, breeding animals, cultivating creation. Think of the creation mandate. Fill, subdue, cultivate. Such cultivation provides the basis of the organisation of society and includes by extension, therefore, the development of culture and civilization building houses, designing clothes, writing poetry, playing chess. They are the very mundane ways in which we today exercise our creation mandate as we represent God's rule over every type of cultural activity in relationship with others and in a way that reflects God's nature, nurturing creative hand. So we are called to steward his creation. Secondly, we're called to be a disciple of Christ. This is a significant part of our calling. Whatever we do, wherever we are, we are called to follow Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him. 
To be a disciple of Jesus is to be someone who is learning to live the way of Jesus in your context at the moment. I'm going to say that again. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be someone who is learning to live the way of Jesus in your context at the moment. I like to refer to this as being called to abstract nouns because to be a disciple of Christ is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Abstract nouns. We are called to be disciples of Christ, bearing the fruit of the Spirit in every situation. Stewarding his creation, called to Christ, be a disciple of Christ. Thirdly, we are called to belong to the church. God is building a new humanity, a new community. And when we become Christians, we join that community called the church, the bride of Christ. Part of our primary calling is to be part of the church. So we're called by God to God. What does that look like? Well, circle back, Jeremiah 29. What does God call the people to do in the place they didn't really want to be? Build houses and settle down. Have a family here. Set up camp, invest, pray for, seek the peace and prosperity of this city. Where are you right now? Milton Keynes, I'm guessing. Land of roundabouts. Can we just have a moment? (laughs) So many roundabouts. Blimey. I don't know whether you want to be here. I don't know whether you chose to come here or whether you feel a little bit like you've been exiled here. But... (laughs) Hey, I didn't say a thing. (laughs) I'm just sedating maybe sometimes people aren't where they want to be. Settle down. (laughs) But however you feel about this place, I believe Dan refers to it as Milton Keynes City of Dreams. Um, But however you feel about this place, God calls you to himself here. Here. Seek the peace and prosperity of this city. And we can take city as actual city, Milton Keynes, or we can swap out city and put in some of the other places that we find ourselves in our daily lives, more specific perhaps. Seek the peace and prosperity of your workplace, your gym, your house, your football team, your kids' school gate, your university, your family, your friends, your colleagues. Pray for them. Invest in them. Set up camp and commit to them. What does that look like? Well, maybe it looks a little bit like what um, a guy who we're going to call Alan because we don't use his real name. What Alan did. Alan was a banker and he managed a team of about 130 people. When he started at his job, the team's profitability was plummeting and their employment enga- employee engagement numbers were pro- plummeting even f- faster than their profitability was. He was given the job of restructuring the team. More specifically, he was asked to restructure out a gentleman we're going to call Keith for unnamed reasons. Alan didn't want to do this. In fact, Alan didn't really want to do any part of his job. He'd been thinking about leaving the organisation for a while, So it's safe to say that Alan did not want to be where God had placed him. But Alan stuck at it, at least for a little while. And about a month into this new role, he offered everyone on his team, all 130 of them, half an hour of his time. They could, he told them, talk about anything. Career, family, hopes, ambition, God, like literally anything. You've got half an hour of my time, talk to me. Turned out, most of them weren't happy in their jobs, And no one had ever bothered to ask them until Alan. Apparently he had done this in every other team he'd led, seeking the peace and prosperity of the team. So Alan gave everyone half an hour of his time, including Keith, 
the man Alan had been told to restructure out. On top of that, Alan knew that Keith had applied for, for his job and not got it, and applied for another job and not got that one either. In his half hour with Alan, Keith told him through tears that he'd had a really bad year, including divorcing his wife. So Alan told him that they'd look at why he didn't get those two jobs and figure out how he could work towards the next promotion. Keith was blown away. Why, why do you care? Why are you doing this? And on top of that, Alan also discovered that Keith was the only person in his sub-team who was client-facing. If Keith was restructured out, as Alan had been instructed to do, he'd go to another bank and take his clients with him at a potential future loss of £185 million. Pounds. Mm. Awkward. <laughs> so Alan worked with Keith to improve his work and his well-being, and Keith stayed. A few months later, Alan's team is excelling and the employee engagement numbers are soaring. Yes, Alan had formidable banking knowledge and outstanding problem-solving skills, but they can only take you so far. It was Alan's abounding love, his desire to seek the peace and prosperity of the workplace, the team, the colleagues, the place to which God had called him, that made the difference. Build houses and settle down, have a family here, set up camp, invest, pray, seek the peace and prosperity of this city. So to be a disciple of Christ in the world is not to withdraw into your own comfortable group and wait for heaven. It's also not to blend in to the life of those around you so there's no discernible difference between you and the surrounding population. We're called to abstract nouns, remember? Instead, as disciples of Christ, we've been given a missional identity and a responsibility, a missional calling, to live in society and work for its well-being. It is out in the world wherever we find ourselves, that we live out our primary calling. This is not about a passive presence, but an active aim to seek and pray for the welfare of the city, the workplace, the people, the locations that God has called us to in a way that presupposes God's presence with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, right? Because you cannot change your primary calling. That's the beauty of it. No matter what you do, no matter... How, how ill you are or how brilliant you are or how questionable your life choices have been, your primary calling is by God to God and that doesn't change. It's fundamental. It's like a foundation. It just is. And so then you go out and you work out that calling in the everyday places in which you find yourself. So God's plan for your life isn't a thing but it's a person it's himself it's that you would be his disciple that you would follow in his footsteps that you would learn the way of Jesus in your context at the moment so as I finish I just want to I want to bless you guys so I'm just going to pray for you as you go into the work into work into your life tomorrow as you go from here so may you go secure in the knowledge of your primary calling by God, to God. May you seek the peace and prosperity of the city, the workplace, the home, the family, the colleagues, the gym, the sports team, the friendship group to which he has brought you. And may you see God at work in incredible, miraculous ways in and through you, wherever you are. Amen.